Hello and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. We have yet another amazing guest for you guys this week, but before we get to that, I want to encourage you to check out episode 85 that I recorded with Nick Willis, Pistons fan and four-time Olympic runner in the 1500 meter. I've also dropped a couple new articles at Detroit Bad Boys on the Pistons defense and breaking down Cade Cunningham's game versus the Nuggets on Tuesday the 25th. Make sure you are following us on Twitter at Motor City Hoops, subscribe to the Motor City Hoops YouTube channel, and check out Detroit Bad Boys regularly so you never miss out on any Motor City Hoops content. And for the content on this episode, I asked one of the best and fastest growing NBA minds that I've had the pleasure of meeting. NBA writer for Basketball News, 137 PM, and SB Nation's Fear the Sword, podcaster for Tag the Roll and Indie Cornrows, just absolutely crushing everything he does. Back for the second time, Mark Schindler. Mark, welcome back to the Motor City Hoops podcast, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the intro. I'm uh, I'm very stoked to talk. We, uh, you know, we were mentioning before we got on that uh, this game could have gone a number of different ways, especially if you're looking at the first five minutes. But this ended up being a, a really good one. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to dive in. I appreciate you having me on. So we are going to talk about the game on Sunday night between the Pistons and the Cavs, but we are also going to talk some NBA draft content, answering some mailbag questions, get Mark's thoughts on the Jeremy Grant trade situation, play a sheet or sham, and talk about Cade Cunningham because Mark just dropped an article over at Basketball News. But let's start with that game on Sunday night. We're recording this immediately after that one. Just what were your overall thoughts from the Pistons' perspective, what did you see from them that really impressed you? You kind of talked about how it started out a blowout there. Yeah, I have a lot of takeaways, so I'll try and gun through them. Uh, number one, I mean, this was uh, – you'll look at the box score and be like, yeah, whatever, like Kate had a triple-double, but he only shot 6-21 from the field. Uh, this is one of the ones where you had to watch it in real time to uh, to really get the full Kate experience. Um, I mean, he really struggled in that first half. I also tweeted out, too, like he – his whistle's been abhorrent, man. Like, he should have gotten probably three or four more trips to the line tonight easily. Um, but, I mean, that's part of the game of being a below-the-rim finisher. But, I mean, uh, the way that he started to adjust – I mean, he adjusted his stride length. He adjusted where he was taking his his, his field goals from, how he was getting shots off. Um, and then that started to bend the defense, and that led to him finishing with the triple-double and the way that he started to carve up things from there. Um, I mean, that is Cade, and that's part of what I wrote about in that article um, – like he just problem solves in game and adjusts to what a defense is doing or what an offense is doing too, what he's doing defensively. Like um, it's, I, I, I'm not going to be like, Oh, there's nothing like it, but that's part of why he was a number one overall pick. And, and I mean, obviously we saw him play against Evan Mobley tonight, which is, a, that's a, an entirely different discussion point. But um, I mean, that ability to com- constantly impact a game despite being O of 10 to start is, it sounds very narrative-y, but he's that like one one percentile at the top that it actually matters for because he's that capable of of, of having his hands on the game. Um, from there too, I mean, Sadiq was awesome tonight. This is this is the best he's looked in dribble drive the entire season. I've thought he started to look a little bit better finishing through contact as the as the the last month or so has gone on, and he showed that tonight. Part of that too, he he got uh, you know some of the matchups he he had were fortunate. But, I mean, he was willing and gunning from three. Uh, that just really expanded for him. So that was great to see. Frank Jackson did not have his career high. I was hoping – I was hoping – I've always 
I've always really enjoyed Frank Jackson. Um, he was one of my favorite college players when he was at Duke. Um, but I mean, he had a good game tonight still too. He's a big reason that they're even, that they were even in it by the end of the first half. Um, I think after you and I had our Twitter exchange about Stu finishing at the rim, uh, he missed like two baskets from there on. And he had honestly had a really good game. I thought it was pretty solid defensively too. Um, I mean, those are my big takeaways like Trey Lyles too. Like we'll have to talk about Trey Lyles. I enjoyed your, your Trey Lyles article last week, but um, yeah, it was a really good game for the Pistons, man. Well, thank you first on the Trey Lyles, but yeah, so let's unpack some of these individually. Sadiq had 31 tonight. Let's start there because it, it was, I don't think it's going too far to say on Sunday night, he had the best game of his career finishing at the rim. Somebody may be able to throw a stat at me that says otherwise, but the eye test watching it, Having just watched it, I can't remember a game. And he shot it, you know, he was three and nine from three. So that's not, you know, that's not bad. What are you seeing? Let's just stick for Sadiq just with the to the rim game. What did you see tonight? And you had the tweet saying he had shown signs of finishing at the rim better even coming into tonight. So what are you seeing him be able to do that's helping him do that? Yeah, well, I mean, seven of eight at the rim tonight. And I think part of it to me has been, uh, working his post game into drives, it feels like. You know, I haven't done any statistical stuff to back this up. I'm, I'm thinking about writing about Sadiq at some point because he's really interesting to me. But um, I feel like that's been a big part for him because he's not a bursty guy by any means. His handle's pretty mechanical. I want clunky sounds mean, but like he, it's functional. I think would be the best way to put it. Like he's capable of getting from A to B, but if there's too much of an obstacle between A and B, it gets a lot harder for him. But um, I mean, I even think tonight when when if he ever matched up with Isaac Okoro. Um, he was fully capable of, you know, going into a, his mid post bag and then getting into his footwork from there, excuse me, because he does have that really good uh, mid post footwork, just post footwork in general. But I think that's really big for him. He's starting to figure out how to leverage his strength without fouling people too, because I do think that was an issue for him last year and earlier this year. Um, and he's also just going a little bit slower. I think he's a little bit more willing to be methodical at the rim instead of uh, just throwing something up right away. I think he's like seeking out better angles you know if there's something that's not there right away he'll he'll go to something else so he's starting to develop counters and I think that's the big thing for him right now in terms of what he's starting to get at the rim well and the thing is if he is able to do this he's a problem offensively um he really is and he's starting to you know make an argument to be a number three option on a really good team you know like you know more so than just a true three and d guy which I think even myself has plugged him into just like that's what he's going to be if if I know it's a big if it's one night and it's just a little bit of progress, but if he's able to finish, not even at a hundred percent of what he did tonight, but even like 75, he becomes a major problem offensively, but let's transition. So Frank Jackson had 13 points in the first quarter. Um, Again, the Pistons start off this game down zero to 15 and then make a little run and just hung around and then eventually won it late. If you, if you didn't get a chance to watch um, for our listeners, but Frank ends up with 19. He, he kind of came back down to earth a little bit. What do you like about Frank Jackson's game? Um, he's a guy for me who I feel like is kind of an instant offense guy, a guy that comes in, knocks down shots. Is that what you see? Do you see anything more for his ceiling moving forward? Yeah. I mean, he's, closest that this team really has to a movement shooter other than Sadiq. I mean, like even Sadiq, he's not really super comfortable coming off movement or anything yet. Um, and that's something that I think this team really lacks in the half court. And that shows up with, I mean, that, what are they? The 29th and three point percentage right now. They don't get up. A, like, I mean, they're pretty average attempts wise, but it's not even about that. It's more just looking at the spacing in general. 
Like they have guys who can hit standstill shots, but they don't. I mean, as you know, like the guys who get guarded as shooters the most are guys who can hit shots off movement and really have that kind of gravity. And I think that's something that the Pistons offense is still looking for. Um, I mean, I feel like Frank, you can at least trust to come off of a pin down or to come off of a flare screen and at least like get somebody to go over on a screen as he takes a shot. Um, and I think, you know, they've, when, whenever his shot is sputtered, it has definitely hurt the team. Um, but when he gets it going, I mean, I think that's a huge part. It's not even like, I don't want to say it's fully about instant offense because he's not really that level of passer. Like he's capable of making the right pass, but I think that's kind of what's held him back in the league to a degree. He's never like, I mean, he's really been a two and a one's body. Um, but I mean, being able to keep that going and, and keep shooting with confidence because so many, as you know, like even with Sadiq taking seven threes a game, like he's still record scratches on some, which is maddening. So I'm like, dude, you're too good of a shooter to do that. Um, like really only Cade and Frank are the guys that I, I look at who are going to quickly decide whether or not to shoot without checking out of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, him him, him getting going and keeping things going is, is huge for the team. And we'll get back to an individual in just a second because I do want to talk about Isaiah Stewart because um, we had that little Twitter exchange and I want to get your thoughts on him. But you also had a tweet I found really interesting and you mentioned the Pistons offense there as you were talking about Frank Jackson. So you said you really want to see Detroit try to prioritize quicker actions and movement in their offense as the season goes on with any moves they make moving forward. Not all about transition. Everything just kind of bogged down before the defense is even set. So can you just kind of elaborate for our listeners? What, what did you see? I believe that tweet came in the first half. Obviously, the offense got going a little bit, but I think I agree with what you're saying here as long as I'm reading this correctly. So can you, for our listeners, just kind of elaborate what you meant with that tweet? Yeah, no, I think uh, we're definitely probably coming in the same place with this. Um, I think some people in looking at the way that the Pistons have played, they've fallen off a little bit over the last week, but they've in some expanses played a little bit better basketball since Jeremy Grant's uh, thumb injury. Um and it's not saying like Jeremy Grant is this or that. Like, I think Jeremy's a good player. We'll talk about him in a minute. But like, I do think to an extent there's been a little bit, um, I don't want to say less ball stopping, uh, but Jeremy does have a tendency like, and part of that's because the team needs him to score in, in offense. But I think what we see now with how Cade has taken over the offense fully um, with Jeremy out, not that he didn't have it before, but you know what I mean? Uh, like, part of the issue is just quick decision-making. Like I, I do think at times uh, we can kind of uh, over glamorize quick decision-making, you know, and looking at the jazz, like there are times and places for, for, for holding the ball and, and making sure that you're making the right read. And, um, but I do think in looking at this team, like Sadiq can really take a minute to, to make the right decision. Um, Killian, I think is a quick decision-maker, but n- not aggressive in finding his own shots. So teams don't care as much. Um, like Stu can find a guy on the on the roll, but it can take you know an extra extra half second, extra second, which is just enough where you kind of kill your advantage. Um, so I do think that's something that I want to see. Like can also too. I mean, part of it is just having like I don't think Dwayne's sets are awesome, but I also think to the people who are critical of Dwayne, like he doesn't really have a lot to work with offensively. If we're being completely honest, like I do think he could do more, but we got to be fair there too. Um, but just in terms of like, like, like when you see a set start, even if like, I mean, if you start the shot with, with the shot clock at like 17 seconds, it feels like it takes them a good eight to 10 seconds to get everything going. And things aren't aren't happening in circuit. Like it's happening, you know, one thing after the other, not things happening, you know, worrying concurrently, like not, not like every, like, you know, you're not getting a, a 
a flare screen on the opposite side the exact same time that you're running like a pick and roll on empty corner or something. But like you, you get what I'm saying. There need to be actions happening yes. together, not just like, okay, this action happened. So now our next thing's going to happen. Like it just feels like the defense can see it unfolding before them, which if we can see it on screen that quickly, then I mean, the defense is definitely seeing that. So that's kind of more what I'm getting at. Like, I, I think part of it is just where the roster is at right now. Um, but the, the, the way that the, like the, the offensive process is what I really want to see pick up. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Cause I do think sometimes you're right. Uh, and I've uh, admitted this. I, I defend Dwayne Casey probably more than what people like, but I will, I defend him because I see the action sometimes. And while they're not super creative, you, you made a great point. Like the ball screens on the one side and actually it's supposed to be the flare screen on the weak side. That's supposed to help hold the defender or come open if something happens, but they're not in sync. Like it happened too fast or too late. And those things just have to work together on both sides of the floor. I also think that I would like to see the actions happen quicker, like right away. It doesn't, like you say, whenever you talked about, doesn't necessarily mean transition, but like just secondary transition, like get right into some sort of yeah, action that's aggressive. Offense. Yes, yes. So let's go back to Stu before we get into Cade Cunningham, because he had a great night, as we've talked a little bit about, plus the article you wrote at Basketball News. But Isaiah Stewart, we talked about his hands, his finishing. It wasn't good to start the game. He had a really, really nice fourth quarter. And part of that was he took advantage. You know, Jared Allen came over to try to block a shot. He got an offensive rebound put back. He was there on, a, I think, Sadiq Bay dropped off one. Maybe Killian dropped off one. And he was able to finish. What do you see? What did you see Sunday night and, and other games you've seen from Isaiah Stewart in terms of just finishing around the basket in his offensive game? Yeah, Um it's a good question. I think tonight, like early on, he was just kind of going up ASAP and trying to get something going. Um, that did not work for most of the Pistons, as we saw. Um, just the amount of length that uh, Cleveland has around the rim and effectively, too. Like they're not just long for the sake of being long. Like they have a they have wingspan for days and they know how to use it, which matters a great deal. Um, so I think that was a big problem for him in the first half. In the second half, you saw him like actually, OK, he got um, I think it was. I want to say it was Jared Allen on his hip, you know, threw a shoulder into him, uh, got him off the block a little bit, moving on his hip, and then was able to kind of craft his own uh, spot going to his right. Like, I think that's going to be – and just from what I've seen with with Stu this season, um, he's going to have some – I don't want to say issues finishing at the rim. Like, that's no shit. Like, sorry, I don't mean to swear. But, like, he already has them. We know about that. But I think it's going to be more about, A, can you do things quickly? Like, I think that's something I thought about more in looking at post actions this year, too. Like, if you can, you know, get into a rip-through move really quickly, that can take the defense off guard instead of, you know, pounding the ball, being methodical, taking three or four dribbles, jab-stepping, and then going into your rip-through move. That gives the defense time to set up and get ready for you. If you can take one dribble pound, go into a, a rip-through, or it's not even that. Like, I don't envision Stu doing rip-throughs, but, like – um, just making things happen quickly, getting your own rhythm. I feel like he's pretty slow in how he gets things going um, when he is in the paint, which I do feel like is different from last year. Like last year, like, yeah, the touch could be questionable, but I do think he was like, I mean, as soon as he saw an opening, he was going for it. And I think he's been hesitating a little bit more this year, um, which I think is part of, you know, why he hasn't taken as many jumpers. Uh, there's more than that, obviously, but um Again, with him, like I think for him, too, is just being somebody who's a little bit undersized height wise at center, like he has to make things work, uh, you know, on the margins as 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 well as he possibly can. Like 
He has to create as much separation as possible with all of his screens. He has to, you know, run tighter DHOs. He has to be even more explosive and quicker getting downhill in pick and roll, which has been a thing that has been like a very sad regression for me this year is, I mean, he just exploded downhill out of screens last year and that hasn't been the same this year. But point being like, you know, in order to negate some of the issues that he's going to have just being slightly undersized at center, like he has to be quick with everything, forceful with everything. And I think that's uh, that's something I really want to see from him moving forward. I mean, we saw it last year, so I think that I'm not as down on him as, as others have been, um, especially too, like this team is just worse than the team was last year in, in all fairness. Um, so that definitely plays a part, but that, that's mostly what I'm seeing with him and, and what I want to see moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he has to be very deliberate in what he does and very precise. And then you use the word hesitation. And I'm glad you then equated that to the jump shooting because that's something that we haven't seen progress either. So those things like you you can't be both of those things, you know, like you can't be hesitant and then you're not going to be deliberate and precise. And he has to because he's obviously not seven one and he's not super, super bouncy. And so it, it is nice. We It was a few games ago now. I think he was eight of eight from the field and very efficient again tonight in the fourth quarter. You saw some makings of it. So maybe it's still there. And for whatever reason that those hesitants came around, hopefully he'll start to work those out throughout the season. But let's let's get into the man from Sunday night, the man for the whole season for the Detroit Pistons. We love to give everybody some love. But you wrote an article on Cade Cunningham. He was really, really good on Sunday. Sometimes those games impress me more than anything, Mark, because he was so bad shooting the ball in the first half. He wasn't bad overall. He had five assists, five rebounds, and was engaged defensively. He just wasn't scoring the ball. And I saw even some Pistons fans like questioning him and then definitely some Cavs people, you know, kind of clowning him. And then he just took over in the second half. What impressed you about that before we get into the other stuff? Just the the ability to put that away and come out and play the way he does in the second half. Well, yeah, I mean, especially with the way that he I mean, I mean, like we've seen so many games before where somebody struggles to get to the interior and they just stop doing it and they'll get to their J, um, which is not like, again, it's all about process and doing things differently. But for somebody like Cade, who if he's not getting things going downhill, then no one is for this Pistons team right now, frankly, at least in terms of a way that's going to create for anyone else um, while still having the gravity to score themselves. So like him continuing to to drive into the interior until he could probe and find things out was like, to me, I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's like, I like it a little bit to boxing. Like, can you, okay. When you take the first power punch, how do you handle it from there? Um, Cade just trusted what he, what he does, what he knows, and he keeps getting inside. And I think that's, um, that's what's been so encouraging about watching him recently. Like he's, he actually, I think he struggled from mid-range quite a bit tonight. I, I would have to check the numbers to see what he shot overall. Yeah, he didn't hit a single mid-range shot tonight. Um, ended up only 4 or 14 from the basket, but I think all four of those buckets came in the last 10 minutes, probably right around there, feels like. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I, I think for, for for people who maybe didn't – I don't want to sound rude by saying who didn't play sports at, at a higher level or see some of this stuff. Like when you struggle to the degree that he just did tonight against the guy that many people thought could have or should have been taken over him to a degree if they didn't think that he was the number one overall pick, like that was a massive game for him. Yes. Uh, to, especially considering how much trouble Evan gave him coming onto the inside early on. Like – um there just are not very many guys who have the wiring to 
withstand going 0 of 10 in the first half in a game like that that means that much and still come out firing and, and figuring things out the next half and ultimately winning the game. That's a great point because uh, I'm sure Cavs fans are saying it. I'm sure people around the NBA were saying it. But like I said, not, I'm not trying to call Pistons fans out by any means, but I think sometimes you get a little impatient and you watch Evan Mobley look really good, probably going to win Rookie of the Year, and you want to see your guy like – you know, that that's our guy. That's the face of the franchise. You want to see him look better than Evan Mobley. And in the first half, he's 0 for 10. And, you know, that sucks as a Pistons fan. And But you, you brought, like, the mental wiring because he has to know that. He has to understand. It's not playing like if Steph Curry outplays him. Like, yeah, we all expect that. It's different if Evan Mobley is. So not only to come back in the second half, but to lead the team to victory, you know, to actually win the game, I thought was really impressive on Sunday. I want to ask like a little more nuanced thing. So we saw Dean Wade guard him tonight. He was the primary matchup and I don't follow the Cavs. Maybe he's their best perimeter defender. I don't know. But in the Nuggets game, it was Aaron Gordon. Do you think there's, that's something we're going to continue to see other teams put their best or sorry, their biggest possible defender on him? Why might that be? Or were those just because that was all those teams really had? Yeah. So tonight, I actually was kind of oh, – I guess I shouldn't be super surprised that they didn't put Isaac on him. Because, That's what I thought. That's what surprised um, me. Yeah, I thought that they were going to put Isaac on him, but I thought, you know, and, and, I mean, especially because uh, Hami started. Like it was – I mean, you kind of need to put Isaac on, on Hami because he's so quick and he's able to – especially, you know, roaming baseline. He's so good at, at deceptively cutting in like that. Um but no, the Cavs have done that a lot this year. Like they put, um, especially too, because um, Lowry Markin was out. But I would imagine Lowry Markin probably would have played on K tonight. And it sounds a little bit uh, crazy when you hear it like out front like that. But the way the Cavs play defense is one of my, my my favorite things to watch in the league because they understand how to get the most out of all their guys together, and they buy into it, which matters a great deal. Like. I mean, you can see uh, Isaac Okoro is one of the best screen navigators in the NBA at his size. I, I mean, he's only like, what, 6'5", but still like 6'5 and broad. Like it's, as you would know, like that is not easy to get around screens the way that he does. Darius Garland has really picked up his screen navigation too and, and just his ability at the point of attack, even though he's a little bit smaller. Um, but really everything they do is built around using their length to just dis- deter people until help can come. And like, as much as Lowry has kind of struggled offensively, he's really come together before he, he went out with injury, but um, he's been really good at just using his length and his size to stay in front of people long enough for Evan Mobley to rotate over or Jared Allen to rotate over or Isaac Okoro to dig at the nail. And they're incredibly good at playing the gaps. I, actually, that was one of the small, like this, tonight, this was the worst our defense has looked in forever. Like, um, I don't know what was up with them. I mean, yeah, they were missing some guys, but still they've been normally really good without, I mean, without their full lineup. But um, so, I mean, that, I mean, you, you saw early too, and I wrote about it in the article a little bit, like Cade was capable of getting past Dean Wade, but it's just, okay. Once you get uh, outside Dean Wade, you're already to the nail and then help comes and Cade kind of struggles. Like he's able to still, you know, get to the rim, but it it changes up how he wants to finish. It makes it harder for him to finish there. And then you have Evan Mobley there, who's like 
playing borderline all defense level defense and has been one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. So you make it even harder. Like um, I think a lot of people will attribute tonight strictly to Evan Mobley, but it's just the entire Cavs defense is so good at making things difficult uh, to, to, to make anything go on in the interior. So you talked about his ability to go ahead and get by Dean Wade. So I want to stay with that from your article, because this is the thing that's probably impressed me the most about Cade Cunningham. And that's his shiftiness. You described shiftiness off the dribble, despite maybe not having elite burst. What what do you like about his when just looking solely at his ability to go by his primary defender? Because he's done it at a way better rate than what I thought, if I'm being honest, Mark. What is it about that that you like? Is there any long-term worries about it? Is there anything teams or defenses are going to be able to do to stop what he does right now? Um, what it is? What is it about that um, with Cade Cunningham? Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you too. I I think, uh, well, not I think. I know, like some people who cover the draft went way overboard on the uh, the burst concerns. Like I think it's burst relative to him being the number one option. Like, yeah, he's not Anthony Edwards, but also Anthony Edwards has the best first step in basketball and one of the best that I've seen in a long time. So like, yeah, of course he's not Anthony Edwards, but he has a better handle. And like his handle is ridiculous. It's basically my best way to put it. Like he's already so good at flowing in and out of screens. And what I mean by that, like Jalen Green also, like I think Jalen Green's got one of probably the five or 10 best first steps in the NBA but he has like very little craft with setting up screens right now. And it sounds like such a minimal part of the game, but I mean, properly setting up a screen, like just even if, you know, sending it, put, putting like a hesitation or a hang dribble to your left to force your, your defender into, into the screen that they're not expecting. Um, and then using that momentum against them and going right. Like, uh, that's something that you see K do a lot, especially because he likes to work empty corner and go baseline um, like that's the kind of stuff that I really like seeing from him that sets him apart because he's already so good at that, like being 20 years old and capable of pretty elite screen manipulation on top of having enough bursts that it just doesn't matter as much. Like, yeah, he's going to struggle to beat some of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA one-on-one, but also that's something that he's got time to figure out. Like the next thing for me, like I, I wrote about my article, like a lot of it is about three-level scoring and three-level scoring is one of the most overrated overused things when when talking about stuff but i mean for him so much is built upon what he can do with his shot because his shot is incredibly good it's better than the number show i mean like i tweeted out the stat too uh right before i dropped the article it was shooting uh, i i think it's gone down now because it has to have because that's just i mean 57 percent on pull-up threes over a month just does not sustain um but i mean what what he does already commanding unders on pick and rolls like that's what gets him even more separation. And it's about what he can do with that from there. And, um, you know, I think we've started to see more teams toy with giving him open mid-range looks or, or just, you know, give, playing him more in center field like the Jazz were, capable, were comfortable playing in center field. The Nuggets tried to do some of the same, but he was so good, so good against the Nuggets. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's going to be – like I really want to see him work in the floater more. I think he has a little bit more over the last month, still not a ton, but – like it's going to be figuring out more touch shots and things that happen once he gets into the paint just to force the defense to guard him out farther. Um, but he's already done so much of that too. It just like, again, like talking about the way that he's evolved his game since earlier this year has been kind of ridiculous to track and watch. So I know it was a really long rambling, but yeah, that's a, he, he gets me excited to talk about, man, just because 
um, the way that he plays the game, you can see how he approaches it. And um, I mean, James Edwards, the third good friend of mine over at the athletic wrote about, you know, how he and his, his brother and cousin uh, who basically handle his development plan, like how they have attacked his development for the last couple of years and building him into the number one uh, pick. And like what K does is just continuously break down the next part of his game. Like, uh, like the self-awareness that he has is I think maybe the most impressive thing about him to me. And I, again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but um, like knowing what, he's bad at and being willing to do whatever it takes to get better at it. It sounds, again, it sounds cliche, but like, like I, I don't want to compare him to anyone because it, it makes it unfair, but just knowing like he himself, he's like, yeah, I, I, I have struggles finishing at the rim and I'm going to work on these counters and uh, you know, working in more, uh, more stuff in my dribble arsenal to figure out how I can freeze defenders and just get myself some extra time because that's what he's done this month. So yeah, like that, that's just incredibly impressive stuff to me. No, I love it. And and don't ever apologize for the long answer. I love it. I, I Sometimes I sit here as a listener and I just take it all in. Yeah. And I wish we could dive even more into the article. But guys, make sure you go check it out at basketball or excuse me, basketballnews.com. Mark Schindler wrote about Cade Cunningham. And I want I had some more questions, but I want to dive into the mailbag for the draft. And I know in the, the intro, I said we'd talk Jeremy Grant trade, but guys, we got Alex Kennedy coming. We got James Edwards coming. We got Keith Smith coming all around the trade deadline to talk that stuff. So future episodes, we'll dive into all that. But while we have Mark here, and this is going to lead a little bit into a question I did have about Cade, which was, what does this Pistons team need to kind of augment his development? What would be the best thing they could add to make him better? And that might come via the draft. So let's get into the draft right now and let's ask some questions. And the first one, I'm about to round a little bit here, but the first one is, what do you think of the sharp news? Where would you rank him in this class? This came from Stephen Gillespie at Stephen G Hoops, friend of the podcast. Um, Shaden Sharp, I believe, at Kentucky. How has that changed things? What What do you think about that? Tentatively, like I'll be completely honest, I've only seen like two games of his, so I don't want to speak completely out of turn. But he's a ridiculously impressive athlete, and not in like your typical bigger, faster, stronger, like you know traditional athleticism. Like he is a monster ground coverage athlete. Like he has some insane stride lengths. Um, which is the kind of stuff that you look for in terms of being able to create separation. Um, I mean, I think tentatively he's definitely, he would, I mean, he'd be a lock to, to be in the top 10. And I honestly, I think that there have been talks about him playing at Kentucky. I don't think he should, frankly, like um, maybe it would be good for him to develop there. I'm not, you know, I'm not everything with that or fully understanding that, but I do think right now, just based on everything that, that I'm aware of, I would be pretty shocked if he didn't end up going it top, you know, near the top of the lottery. Um, I I do think too, though, it's a little bit like, um, you know, it, you would have to have careful expectations with it. Like, I'm not really sure, uh, especially because of uh, my, my friend PD Webb uh, wrote a really great article recently on um, how people are talking about how this draft might be like, quote unquote, like the worst in a while. Um, and trying to have a fair lens of understanding, you know, what's going on outside of the tape you're watching, like EYBL and just AAU and even high schools, like seasons got totally messed up the last two years, um, like completely, which throws off player development, which throws off, you know, how guys are 
reading the floor and seeing the game. Like even with looking at Paolo Banchero this year, uh, I mean Banchero um, out of Duke, he had some regressions in his game because he spent so much of his time just working on segmented parts of it in the gym. And while he's like things have really clicked for him recently and he's looked awesome, like he's still looked really good the entire, but just relative to expectations. Um, like it's just so important to note that development time, especially for guys that young, makes a big impact. So I do think to, I mean, for the most part, like for a guy with that kind of uh, ability coming in already, and I think he's what, 18, uh, probably turning 19 soon, but um, that's going to be incredibly tantalizing for teams. Like I don't, I don't entirely know what to make of him yet, but I mean, tentatively, yeah, he would be up there for me. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like just a, a wild card, like because of all the stuff you talked about. They don't know if he's going to play at Kentucky. Like I even listening to some other podcasts, it doesn't sound like it's even like 100% guaranteed he's going to be eligible for the draft. Like, I don't know. It just Yeah, he hasn't fully put his name in yet um, because it, once he does that, I think he can't play at Kentucky, something like that. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's something. Yeah, there's like some kind of weird bylaw in it. So here's a question from how bright, how pretty is, how a good friend as well. What does Detroit have to do with the roster to get the most out of Jabari Smith if they were to draft him? So like, how would Jabari Smith fit with Cade? How would he fit on this roster? Uh, wow. Um, to get the most, all right, we'll answer this in two parts. Um, I think to get the most out of Jabari Smith Jr., I would really want him playing alongside somebody who is uh, like an elite perimeter penetrator like somebody who is really good at collapsing the defense um capable of getting him uh you know not even just open list for three because he that's not not necessarily what he needs but like he needs to play alongside another really good playmaker um and again somebody who can who can penetrate who can collapse the defense because i don't at least right now with where he he's at that's not who he is that's the big knock on him right is he doesn't create for like other like he doesn't collapse the defense right yeah like he he can't collapse the defense um but i mean his he's probably just about the best shooter in the draft um like he can do it off movement he can i i don't know entirely what to make out of big guys who are able to self-create off the dribble um like he can he can do a lot of stuff off the off the bounce from three, which is like really in, incredible and exciting. But also, um, you know, I, I just am not really entirely sure what to make of it because right now, like he is not a good passer, just being completely honest, given his usage, like he's capable of making like some OK reads when he has time to look and, and can see over the defense. Um, but he's not a timely passer. The the ball placement isn't great. And that's, of course, stuff that he can grow into. But like I just I, like I mean, that's one of the hardest areas for a guy to actually develop is in his ability to play make and to become a plus passer. Like I think you can get to levels where you're fine or good um, as like just a reads based passer. Um, but, you know, like normally when I'm thinking about somebody becoming more of an off the dribble shooter from deep. Like I'm thinking, okay, how can you leverage that in a pick and roll? Like how can you leverage that into being a ball handler and getting downhill? Because to me, like that is a lot of the point of being a shooter. So to me, like I probably transition it more into thinking of like, and part of the reason why I probably wouldn't have him as the number one pick right now. And that's not a knock on him. I think he's a really like, I mean, he'd be top three easily for me, but like my vision for him is becoming an elite movement shooter. Like, um, like he's already shown ability to come off of, of, of pin downs to do stuff as a flare screener. Um, like I want to see him take 10, 11 threes a game. Like I think he's capable of doing that. I'm not, um, 
I mean, I guess if people are like, like I, I do buy him as a creator, obviously, but um, you know, force feeding a guy mid post touches is not uh, especially too. Be, like, I'm sorry, I'm going all over the place, but he really likes to get going from the mid post. Auburn gets in the ball in the mid post a lot, and he's capable of facing up and hitting from there. The problem is right now he's just not super capable of facing up and getting to the rim. And if he does get to the rim, he has trouble uh, with with scoring around the rim um, because he's not an awesome vertical athlete off of his front foot. Um, so it just makes it or no, he's an okay vertical athlete off his front foot, but not like awesome. Like you expect like somebody who's 6'10 like that. Um, so it just makes it like a very odd way. Like I'm not super into archetypes, but in terms of looking at the way that a guy is developing and where he's at, like to me, it would be a little bit saying concerning is is too much. Like he's really talented. So is Cade. But to me, it is kind of an awkward fit because I do think just given like we talked about, Cade does have some natural um, things that he's going to have to work on at being better around the rim. Um, I don't think it's a perfect marriage necessarily. Um, but I would be really intrigued by it. Like I don't buy into the notion that just because they might not work that you shouldn't take him. Like I, who cares about the fit right now? This team sucks. Like no offense, but like, that's just being honest, like get talented guys who might be able to work together and figure it out from there. So that's my really long winded way of saying that. But yeah, um, I, I do think ideally he's playing alongside somebody who's a really good, um, really good at, at opening him up for secondary actions. No, no, that's awesome because like I said, I don't necessarily have time to scout these guys and whatever. So I go to guys like you and that gives me a great perspective. And what you said there at the end leads us right into the next one. This is from Dan Kaminsky at Dan Cam underscore 11. And this will kind of lead us into two things because I think you're going to be able to answer the first part of this relatively quickly. He says, if the Pistons have plans to add a big via trade or free agency, so let's say they they add John Collins with oh, the yes, trade please. or something. You know, <laughs> does it make sense to take one of the three bigs at the top of this draft? So real quick, would you still take Jabari, Chet, or Paolo if they made that move? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, like that's uh, easily for me. Um, I think you just have to take um, – like, to, like to, I'll try and make this quick, but like – I don't, I think a lot of times people try and make it a push pull between best player available and fit. And honestly, I think it's just important to to look at things in terms of okay, best player available and fit is different on every single team. Um it's not something you can just make a top-down board like the best player available might be because of how they fit on your team or the best fit might just be talent or or how it's going to work out. So to me like with where the Pistons are at and how I view that. And also I don't think like any of those guys can't work with John Collins or anything. So, um, and I would say too, one thing I forgot to say, like to me, Jabari Smith Jr. is not a big, like, I think he's a big wing, uh, not in terms of like, you know, saying that he's Kevin Durant or anything like that, but just he profiles more as, as a wing than a big to me, like a combo forward than somebody who I think is ever going to play the five. But um, that would be my answer to that question. Okay, perfect. So Dan goes on to say, or would it make more sense to trade back for a guard slash wing? How Brutius asked, which non-forward is the best fit for this team? And I'm going to lump these together, but you can answer it all at once because it's along the same vein. And at M. Tommy asked, between Ben Matherin and Johnny Davis, who has more upside as a scorer and who is the better complement to, to fit Kate? So essentially, you know, trying to get these together for the sake of time here, Who's the best wing for you? And does that person fit best next to Cade? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So to me, I think like I like Johnny Davis better than Ben Matherin, if we're being honest. Like I like Ben Matherin a lot. 
I personally don't see him as being a top 10 pick, uh, which is where he's slated at most of the time. Um, I, I don't have like a full concrete board, but right now to me, like I would not take him over a lot of the guys who I think he's slotted to go over. Johnny Davis is, uh, he is incredible. Like I, he is somebody who I think would be a remarkable fit next to Cade. Um, incredibly good guard defender. He's got like that prototypical two guard size, which again, I think that stuff can be made outright like a little bit too much. But um, to me, like I look at the two in the league and so often uh, like uh, the two on your team is like a replacement level guy or or not even necessarily a replacement level guy, but the typical like three and D whatever. Like I'm a somebody who's a smaller wing or a bigger off guard that doesn't quite have the handle to really break down a defense and, and play make for you. To me, Johnny Davis is somebody who, like, he's a more mechanical playmaker. He's not awesome as a playmaker. Like, he can make some reads out of pick and roll. Um, he handles pressure okay, but he's more of a scorer right now. But I do think he has playmaking upside that Ben Matherin doesn't have. Um, he has a much better handle than than what Matherin does right now. Like, I don't really buy Matherin as, as a, a creator moving forward. Like, maybe – like, he's put together some stuff that makes you, you question it a little bit, but – I'm not really there with him. I don't, I think he's been projecting more as somebody to me who's like a really good off ball shooter who grows into being uh, really good at attacking closeouts and hopefully can, can grow his reads from there as a playmaker. But to me, like Johnny Davis is a legit shooter who can do things off the dribble. Um, and I mean, like Matherin's a really damn good shooter too, but like I buy Johnny as more of a, um, more of a actual scoring creator who is going to play really good defense too. And I think Matthew's going to play good defense as well. But to me, yeah, it's, it's, it's clearly Davis. So give me one more name. Give the listeners one, just give us a name of another guard slash wing. If the, say the Pistons fell to five or six. Uh, is, is, is there one? I mean, you could throw out AJ Griffin. Okay. Um, I'm not in t- like, I am kind of intrigued by his fit with Cade more just because like he is, um, like I don't have a I'm not I'm not really a big comps person, but just in terms of looking at where he's already at footwork wise and what he can do is like his polish as a scorer is like to me it's like watching TJ Warren play. Like I think he's a better athlete than than TJ Warren probably was at that stage, but just in terms like and he might be honestly an even better scorer is kind of ridiculous. But like yeah, AJ Griffin is going to be a really damn good score for a long time. And he has good size too. Like I think he has some stuff that I'm a little bit questioning defensively, but yeah, AJ Griffin is somebody who I'll, I, I would have up there too. Okay. Last one before we bring Wes in and get some sheet or sham before I have to let you go. And this is from Steve Pelletier at Burke worldwide. Um, he said, what are your thoughts on John Butler and his chance of being a first round pick? Okay. So, I knew that this question was coming. So I went and I watched a bunch of John Butler today and caught up some more with Florida State. Um, both, I, I really liked Matthew Cleveland coming into the year. He's still been interesting to me, but part of the issue for him has been he is way smaller than he was listed. Um, that's not something that I really knew coming in, and you don't really know until you see him play. Like He was listed at 6'7 coming in, and he's lucky if he's 6'4 and a half, um, which definitely hurts him as a non-shooter right now. Like That's not everything, but... I do think it impacts him. He's still somebody interesting to me. I'd probably take in the early second, but John Butler is really interesting, man. Just to give you like a quick rundown, he's seven foot one, but 190 pounds. Um, so pretty, pretty damn real thin. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he's got legit movement skills. Uh, and at Florida State, they ask him to, you know, do like what Sp- Scotty Barnes did, what they ask everyone to do. 
switch on the perimeter, play a really aggressive scheme of style of defense. He handles a little bit on the break. Um, I do. Uh, I'm a little bit interested in some of his passing flashes. I don't like, again, he's not someone who I think is any type of creator or anything. He has interesting touch. He shoots the ball pretty well. I like his form. Um, and he's, he's shown some, I, I wouldn't say like he's shown flashes as a weak side room protector, but not somebody who I view as really being a center because I don't like, I just don't think you can really grow into being like seven, one, two fifty out of nowhere. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, I like him. I honestly am not sure he's going to go in this draft. Um, like he's still coming off the bench at Florida State. Uh, right now, he would probably, if he was slotted to go anywhere, would be in the early to mid slash late second. I mean, it really just kind of depends. Um, he's definitely interesting to me, but I still think he's probably going to be more of a next year guy. Hopefully, build on onto his frame a little bit in Florida State's system, and you know, get another year playing there and just finding more opportunities to to grow out his game. Because to me, like, uh, unless you're already like an upperclassman, um, I if if you're not going to go close to the lottery or you know, with guaranteed money in the first round, it's really dangerous to go out. Um, if you're already, if you're only a freshman, just because, okay, well, if you go and you don't have guaranteed money, then you might be screwing yourself in terms of what kind of, um, you know, what kind of commitment you're actually going to have from an organization. And I know it's different for every guy. Not everyone can afford to wait. Um, it's part of the reason why I don't love how the, as much as I enjoy the draft and, and scouting, that's part of why I get really frustrated with the draft because it can, can be, it can create some very difficult challenges for guys coming in, but that would be where I'm at with John Butler right now. Got you, got you. That, that was good. That wasn't a name I was super familiar with, so I was excited to hear you talk about that as well. We we got Mark. One, thank you to everybody who sent in questions. We got Mark for five more minutes. He's going to hang around with us. I know he's got to get somewhere. So, Wes, come in. Let's play some Sheet or Sham. Get us started. It's it's true-false questions, Mark, um, but we play Sheet or Sham around here. So, Sheet is ball, don't lie. Um, sham then would be false. So, Wes, okay. get us started. All right, and uh, for the score update, Bryce, you've got three, uh, and our guests have three. So it's tied up. Uh, Mark, you're the guest. You'll go first. I'll ask you the first one. Uh, these are on the Pelicans. So Sheed or Sham, Devontae Graham leads the Pelicans in assists per game. Sham. He sounded really confident, so I'm going to copy and say Sham as well. Yeah, that was real confident. It is <laughs> Sham. <laughs> it's Brandon Ingram, right? Uh, yeah, it is, but it's yeah, close. So. so Graham's got 4.5 and Ingram's at 5.2. Cool. I, I'm I'm all of a sudden very, very nervous for this round of Sheeter <laughs> Sham. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was surprising. Well, since we're low on time, I'm gonna jump over to the Timberwolves. Um, so Mark, you got that last one right. We'll go to you. Uh Carl Anthony Towns leads the Timberwolves in points per game. Sheed or Sham. Ooh. I believe. I'm going to go with Sheed on this one. I'm going to go Sham. It's Sheed. Ah. Yes. I knew there was a little bit of time where uh, Ant was ahead of him, but then, yeah. Okay, so I was on the right track because I was thinking maybe yeah. Ant had taken him up. How close is it, Wes? Uh, it's about two points different. So Cat is at 24.2 and Ant Edwards 22.9. I think oh, Ant still takes closer. more shots, though, if I remember correctly, but it's close, yeah. Real quick, Mark, uh, what have you thought about Anthony Edwards? You know, here oh, in year dude, two, he's, been he's a awesome. bucket, right? Yeah, he's border. Like, I mean, I have struggled to not put him as my last guy on the on the Western Conference All Stars. Nice, nice, he's been that good. All right, question number three, Wes. 
Uh, still with the Timberwolves, Bryce, you first. So Sheed or Sham. D'Angelo Russell leads the Timberwolves in three-point attempts per game. Sham. Yeah, that's a sham. It is sham. It's close. He's second. So he's taking 8.5, and Edwards is first with 8.9. I was looking through three-point attempts the other day, and I saw Anthony Edwards' uh, name pop up quite a bit. So um, that's why I was so quick on that one. So our score right now, I've got two. Mark has three. Mark is three for three here in the early going. Right. All right. So we're going to jump on over to the Celtics. Uh, Mark, I'll ask you first. So Sheed or Sham, Marcus Smart is averaging two steals per game. Oh, I'm going Sham. I got to catch up. So I will go Sheed. It is Sheed. Yes. He's tied with Deontay Murray first in the NBA. Steals per game. I didn't know that. Okay. Hey, how about Deontay Murray, man? Like how, what kind of season is he having? He's been really good. I it's been it's hard for me to put him as an all star, which I think will upset some people. But like I don't know, the efficiency is really rough to get over. Part of it's him okay. being overtaxed, believe that. But yeah, okay. Because I was listening to the Game Theory Pod, uh, and you know, fellow friend James Edwards was on there with Sam Vecini, and James was kind of trying to make an argument, and I think Sam kind of talked him out of it. Um, but you know, you just. I, I kind of box score watch, you know, I, I stay in my yeah. lane with the Pistons, but you, he puts up really nice numbers. So the efficiency isn't really there for him offensively. Yeah, that- I think he's uh, like probably three or four points below league average through shooting. Um, but I mean, like, I don't want to call his passing fake. Like he is a quality passer, but I mean, he's not entirely bending a defense. If that makes sense. Like to me, he's... Um, like very like he gets into the into the mid range. Teams are very comfortable letting him get there, and he's just making a lot of like he's very good pocket passer. Which just that sounded so harsh. Oh my god, I did not mean it like that at all. I love Dejounte Murray. I just I like being fair with all stars and being honest. And I I can't get there with them. No, I love it, Mark. I love the honesty. You you call it the way you see it, and I appreciate that very much. Wes, let, let's make this the last one. We're tied three to three right now. Um, and, and I don't want to keep Mark too long because I want to bring him back on the podcast. So, <laughs> good, man. Um, Wes, let's let's go to your best one you have left. I know you spend a lot of time on this, so so send us your best one, and we'll we'll, we'll call this game. All right, so I'm I'm gonna go uh, break my rules here a little bit. I'm gonna go back to the Pelicans because this one's a little obscure. Ooh. So, uh, Mark, you first. Sheed or Sham? Garrett Temple has played the most games for the Pelicans this season. <laughs> I'm going with Sheed. That is a Sheed, and I know why, and I'll tell you later. <laughs> so I'm going to go Sham just because I want to hear this from Mark. It's Sheed. Yeah. Uh, Willie Green, the only major qualms I have with him as a rookie head coach is he will not give up Garrett Temple. Like, Garrett Temple is his vet that he just will not stop freaking playing, <laughs> no matter how bad he is. Like, no, like Garrett was really good a couple of years ago, but he has fallen off hard, and it is – yeah. It, he has been like a very big sore spot for me watching the Pelicans. Hey, every coach has one of those. I'm sure Pistons fan would tell you that Dwayne Casey's is Corey Joseph and Trey, <laughs> and Trey Lyles. So Mark gets the dub. I fall behind three to four um, to our guests. But um, stick with us here. But bef- I'm going to let Mark go. And then me and Wes are going to talk just a little bit. But Mark, thank you for joining us. Please come back at some point and let everybody know where they can find all the amazing stuff you got going on. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mschindlermba. Um, I'm really active there. I put all my stuff up. Um, I'm at Basketball News, 1.37 p.m. I host the NBA draft podcast called Tag the Roll with my good buddy and uh, fellow scout, Jake Rosen. 
so yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Mark Schindler for joining us. Uh, an incredible episode. We got a couple minutes here left. So I want to get Wes Davenport in. He doesn't always get a chance to just really talk with me, with the guests. He does the Sheet or Sham, does an amazing job with that. But Wes, we got a couple minutes. So what were some of your takeaways? You listened into the whole episode. What were some things that really intrigued you about what Mark said tonight? Well, I think my biggest one was what he was uh talking about with Isaiah Stewart not exploding downhill when he's setting those screens in the pick and roll like he did last year. And part of me, my my immediate reaction when he said that, I was wondering if that might be they're asking him to do more in the short roll and pop a little bit more when I, I'm pretty sure they weren't asking him to do that last year. So I, I wonder if that's part of it for him. You know, he's not exploding downhill because he's, he's thinking about what to do next uh, and it's kind of messing with his footwork. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be, he brought up some really good points there with Isaiah Stewart, like the hesitation, you know, when he brought that up and it just, that it's in around the rim, it's with the three-point shot, it's in the roll, and you do wonder, like maybe they threw too much at him expecting that growth, and, and I guess it's understandable, you want to see that growth, but you almost wonder, you brought it up right there, like did they throw too many options, like is he having to try to decide, do I pop, do I short roll, do I just sprint to the rim, and maybe it's, he needs it just to be a little more simplified for him right now, still right well and it reminds me too of what uh chris oliver was talking about with the half court offense versus the uh, full fast break offense for the pistons and he kind of thought maybe Dwayne casey is intentionally slowing things down to make it harder for the guys so that when they have to you know in the playoffs and they have to play slower it'll make more sense and go smoother so maybe you know maybe it's a similar mindset you're going to throw a lot at isaiah stewart right now and in a couple of years, it's going to be second nature for him. But, you know, we're watching the, the bugs get ironed out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that short term, I don't want to say failure, but frustrations for the long term success. It's not like you said, Chris Oliver, another amazing episode. We had another amazing guest, um, you know, that he talked about. And and that's important for this team. You know, if, if that's what the trade off is, I think we can all understand that. Um, Wes. Thank you, as always, my guy, for Sheeter Sham. And I'm glad we got a chance for you to, to give a little insight here at the end as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was, uh, I'm still just absolutely shocked he got the Garrett Temple thing. I can't get over that. <laughs> I, know, I know you take, Wes takes a lot of pride in, in his Sheeter Sham questions. He does an amazing job at it. And so um, Mark was, was definitely up to the task. So thank you again, Wes. And there's no way Motor City Hoops would be where it is without him. I also want to send a special thanks to Detroit Bad Boys and Sean and Laz for everything they have done for Motor City Hoops. They gave us a chance and have opened up doors I never thought possible. And lastly, I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast and supporting what we are doing. Please always feel welcome to reach out and interact via Twitter at Motor City Hoops, Facebook, just send me a friend request, Bryce Simon, or comment on the Detroit Bad Boys article. And guys, I had a little tweet and I'm just going to let you know there's some news coming from Motor City Hoops and just continue to come back and listen to episodes because some of that stuff's going to be coming out soon. Motor City Hoops will be back Thursday night, Friday morning with an instant recap episode breaking down the game versus the Timberwolves. And then next week, we will be joined by the chief content officer at Basketball News, Alex Kennedy. Thank you. Go Pistons. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.